I'm Emily Dilling, and this is the Perry Paysan Podcast. Today we're going to speak with sommelier Stefania Genicio about serving wine in Paris and recent restaurant trends. Then we're going to talk with Mike Gilmore of Brew Unique about learning how to brew your own craft beer in Paris. And then we'll meet up with teacher and chef Lise Cavan for our first installment of Buying Things with Lise. Today we're going to talk about buying and preparing fresh meat. So let's get to it. I met up with Stefania at the Broken Arm in the third arrondissement. We talked about her beginnings as a fashion student and how her appreciation for beauty, craft, and fashion eventually led her to being a student of wine. Her studies as a sommelier brought her to Paris, where she was the first sommelier at Bones Restaurant. Stefania has kept her appreciation for all that is artful in the world of not just fashion and art, but also wine, food, and dining. We talked a little bit about what it's like to be an Italian living in Paris and her experiences seeing the different evolutions in the local dining scene. I was a bit sick when we recorded this, so please excuse my froggy voice. I tried to leave most of the talking to Stefania, but as you'll see, that was hard to do because I had a lot of questions. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the interview. So, Stefania, can you tell me a little bit about um, how you came to Paris and what you've been doing these last four years that you've been living here? So, I came to Paris four years ago because uh, I wanted to work with wine. Because before I was living in London and uh, trying to do some jobs in fashion, styling, these sort of things. But I was feeling very lonely and uh, I was always looking for ingredients and uh, I always went to do shopping. And uh, The people in my apartment said I was the only one cooking from scratch because they were using the microwave all the time and they were always joking about me and they were saying I was Italian and me, the Italians and the French. We were always talking about food and wine all the time. We were obsessed. So I said I cannot... I don't know, I didn't really want to stay there in the city. So I went back to Italy and that's when I realized uh, Paris was very close, but it offered a lot of opportunities. So I moved here and um, I started working in a bakery. So I had my Monday, Tuesday off and I could focus on wine. So I went to the tastings, I went to classes. uh, I was uh, really, I was studying a lot. I was... uh, hiding in my apartment sometimes with my books and uh, trying to study the geography and the climate of everything because uh, I was really serious about my objectives, on my ideas, on my goals. And uh, that's how it started. So, And little by little, I started to know people and uh, places and I started to develop my own taste to understand what I liked and what I didn't. And that's how it started. <laughs> what was your first job working with wine in Paris? Even before that, I was uh, in my family. There were other people working in the restaurant industry and also with wine. So that's really how it started. It, I was really younger, and um, I was always interested in wine. So I come from a region where there's a lot of good wine. It's uh, Piemonte in the north of Italy, and uh, so it was basically part of uh, life for me already. It was a uh, something part of the daily routine, and uh, so that came really organically for me and so in Paris the first place where I work it was a Bones and uh, I really loved that it was a great experience it changed everything it changes uh, it changed my idea of food of uh, of the city also because um, I started to really I don't know 
have a sense of what was happening around me. Even if before I knew the addresses, I went to restaurants and I went to places with friends, I was not really, I guess, um, aware of everything that was happening. And then I, when I started working there, I met all these people who were passionate about, I don't know, single products or they were talking seriously about things that I never considered before. And that's where I started to get more passionate about all that. That's a great place to start um, and definitely a restaurant that's known for attention being paid to the origins of everything and also making so many things in-house. We were talking earlier about how finding the ingredients to make your life delicious is really important to you and I can definitely see how that was inspired um, by working at Bones and I'd like to maybe um, talk to you a little bit about like how your experience with working with wine and working in that restaurant has kind of formed the way that you feed yourself and um, and how you go about like finding these elements that you want um, to incorporate into your life. I guess that simplified my life because uh, I became aware of what I do not want so it's so much easier to choose when uh, you just go for the right product. So it's it's really simple, like uh, just thinking about something which is good for you and starting with something, a recipe, and you just buy the three ingredients and uh, it's not very complicated to have days filled with uh, good food and uh, drinks. Huh? It's easier than uh, being surrounded by everything, a lot of choice of things that you do not like. Um, have you noticed changes in restaurants in Paris in the time that you've been here? Yeah, see, now everybody is always uh, talking uh, really about the supplier of uh, the provenance of the food, of the product they have. And I think this is very good. It's something that's, uh, that's important because uh, we all want to know where does it come from. We don't want to eat something which comes from the factory or, or it's industrial. And so it's something I really notice in most of the young places opening in Paris. So what I think is that in the following years or in the next future, what's going to happen? It's many restaurants now are aware of uh, the importance of having good products and um, good using uh, good ingredients. So I think that as everybody is working well, it's not going to be important anymore to state uh, that to use the good product as a selling point. This is going to be taken for granted by customer because they are going to go to specific places because they know they have these products. People will maybe not look for the label like this is natural wine or organic food or things like that. They'll maybe be able to appreciate the environment and see if there's certain elements like if there's a winemaker there that they like that they can trust the person who chose that wine to also be working with someone who's going to choose good cheese and things like that and it maybe won't be like you said the selling point won't be we have these things it'll be more like we've created this space yeah it's what i'm saying it's like i'm gonna choose a place because there's good music and i like the people who are there and i want the food to be good but i don't want to be told that the food is uh good and clean and uh i think um this is a really good point that you're bringing up stefania because i think um in some ways that's first of all yeah you don't want to be told that the food is good you want to know that the food is good because it tastes good also I think labels are a really easy way they kind of facilitate a sort of co-opting of a movement and I think for example when I go to um, farmers markets I'm not looking for organic farmers I'm looking for farmers because I don't I don't want to spend more money on organic food because I read in a magazine that organic food is better for me I want to go um, spend 
my money to support a local farmer because I know that they've been doing it for generations and maybe they didn't pay the money to get the organic label, but they're respecting the seasons. They've, they're growing several things. They're maybe doing things that are in the traditional way that they've been doing it. So uh, I think it's really interesting to think, to consider this concept as an evolving, an evolution that could happen in the restaurant scene where the, um, the consumer can just trust the restaurateur, the chef to do their job, which I think to do their job well, they should be working with good ingredients. Yeah. So what I think is the evolution is not going to be the content, the the substance. It's just the message. It's just the the way this is uh, communicated to the customer. Um, do you have some places in Paris that you would recommend, or that that kind of are in keeping with this this style of restaurant that that we're discussing? Uh, I can say with no doubt that my favorite place here in Paris is uh, Le Bal. The chef Alice Kille is uh, someone who as a philosophy of cooking which is really which I really appreciate and uh, I love everything she does I love uh, the aesthetic of her food and uh, the taste uh, I never am disappointed I always find comfortable when I'm there cool well thank you so much for talking with me um we're losing you to another city uh, soon is that right yeah I'm gonna be for a few months in uh, Hong Kong I've never been there so it's gonna be completely new for me I'm gonna be a total beginner So, um, of course, I'm going to take a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah, so where can we follow you if we want to see your adventures abroad? On Instagram. It's my Stefania Genizio. It's my name, surname. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> cool. I'll put the links up to the blog so we can follow you in France and Hong Kong and wherever life takes you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for this. <laughs> thank you. I hope Stefania's prediction that restaurants will start using better, locally sourced ingredients by default will come true. Maybe that's a trend for 2016. But I think it's also important for this to come true that consumers are educated and ask for these better products and wonder where their products come from. That's why I like the work that Mike Gilmore does at Brew Unique. Not only does he teach people how to brew beer, but in doing so, he teaches them about where beer comes from. I met up with Mike at Brew Unique on Rue de Genere to talk about the business of making beer. So, Mike, what should someone know about beer before coming to Brew Unique to make beer? Uh, you don't need to know anything about beer to start making beer. You just need to have an idea of what type of beer you maybe want to make. Because here you can do anything. You can make any kind of beer you want. And not talking about colors of beer, as the French people do, but styles of beer. Um, because we've got so many different... Uh, raw materials, different hops and malts and yeast. We can pretty much put any kind of recipe together. Um, so just basically, if you can weigh something out and stir it into a pot, you, uh, you've got a good start. So basically, like, if you could make pasta, you could make beer? Pretty much. It's, uh, in French, you say en pâté for, uh, for starting the beer when you mix the, the, the water and the malt together. So you're not really making pat as you'd say, but uh, yeah, you're just cooking up some water and adding some grains, and I'm here to make sure that you, you know, you don't screw it all up. So yeah, that's that's exactly the thing that's important. I think, you know, you could maybe try to homebrew in your home, but what you offer is the service of having this sort of suivi, like having being accompanied by uh, a professional brewer. So what does that include? Like what's the, from the first time they come until the day that they leave with bottles in, in hand, what, what happens here? So basically, if you, if you want to come here to brew just to 
to learn how to homebrew maybe or you're just interested in brewing and, and want to find out what, what's involved or maybe somebody's just bought you a gift certificate and you know you didn't even know you were coming and it's a surprise um, uh, everybody everybody's going to do it the same way um, it's uh, it's a very simple method of brewing here uh, we do what's called a brew in a bag so it's um, it's it's guided all the way through uh, you basically you you choose your you choose a style of beer you weigh out your malt uh, you're going to get the brew going then you know I'll walk you through the process and you're going to spend about four hours making a batch of beer whatever style you want uh, all the styles pretty much enter into the same parameters of timings and then uh, after spending a pleasant four hours in my company and uh, putting up with it uh, you go home and come back about a month later and uh, spend another lovely hour with myself putting your beer in bottles and uh, and then you take it away and have to wait another two weeks before you can drink it because the beer is basically um, basically flat when it when it comes out um, when it's leaving Brunique, um you uh, you have to wait for the fermentation in the bottle to uh, to give the to give the foam to give the mousse uh, because um, we add sugar that will be uh, re-fermented in the bottle. When the beer is ready, you get thirty six uh, thirty six pints of beer to to share with your friends and you know say hey you know I made this. I just saw someone who came in who bought a gift certificate for their partner for Christmas. Um, and it's a great gift idea. And it's the gift that keeps on giving and the yeah. gift of knowledge. Um, but also you were saying earlier that there's like local um, restaurateur who, or people who work in, in small businesses around you that come in and use the space as kind of like a brewery to make their own signature beer for their for their restaurant or cafe. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, we... Um we're able to able to brew small batches of beer, um, between 100 to 200 liters at a time, uh, to do private, bespoke uh, label beer for uh, for a few different restaurants. It's not something that we can do a lot of, but uh, it's something that we definitely want to reach out to the very local community around us. Um, there's a lot of good restaurants and, and bars in our neighborhood in Sentier. Um, so we're working predominantly with close friends and uh, close neighbors. Cool. And then the space is also used a lot for like company team building activities and things like that. And I imagine that that group is a little bit different because maybe they're coming in with maybe not a lot of experience drinking craft beer. And have you seen people's sort of opinion or appreciation change over that period of time when they're getting like this hands-on experience? Um... Yeah, it's um, I, I've got a diverse uh, uh, portfolio of clientele. I'll have to say the I won't specify names of, of clients, but uh, we've got a, a wide a wide mix of, of uh, corporate clients that have been in so far. Uh, some related to beer, some not related to beer, and uh, everybody everybody's leaving here having a good having had a good time. Uh, and uh, and a lot have gained a lot more knowledge about beer. That's so cool. Like I really love what you're doing here because I think it's so important for people to participate in the process of where their food and drink comes from, and you really give them the opportunity that's so unique to do that. And I think 
people who make their own beer once will never think about beer in the same way and never buy beer the same way again. So when when client when clients have have gone through the whole uh, brewing process and they see that the malt is giving the color and uh, and and different flavors in in the beer and you know the it's not just the color of the beer it's there's a reason there's a color because uh you've used different roasted malts or caramel malts uh and using the different hops and then when they're coming back and they're tasting the beer once it's been brewed uh and you know tasting it when it's been brewed tasting when it's going in the bottle and then you know tasting it after the final fermentation and and seeing all the different processes when they're out drinking a beer they actually know where these flavors are coming from when they're tasting a beer so they've they've heightened their 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 receptors to to you know what what a beer actually is how can we have this experience like how how can we make an appointment and what are your hours and kind of the logistics stuff so basically we we're open from from Tuesday through Saturday Tuesdays are are dedicated to bottling sessions so basically from 10 in the morning till 10 at night uh people can come in and and, and do their bottling sessions on a Tuesday um we have bottling we can do bottling during the day as well during the week um but uh, the the brewing classes are Wednesday Thursday Friday from 6 to 10 and saturday mornings from 10 to 2 and saturday afternoons from 4 to 8 cool so you should basically count on making your reservation to do the initial brew and then coming back a month later for another hour to do the bottling and altogether it's maybe two visits to the boutique to do the entire process that's correct so you would basically to to reserve a space you can go to brewunique.com and uh, there's a link to to the reservation page on Wee's events and from there you just choose your choose your date if you've uh, if you've come by the shop and you've bought a you've bought a um a gift certificate for somebody and you somebody's got a gift certificate you can reserve on the Wee's event page as well with that you just need to click uh, bon brunique and uh, otherwise you can uh, you can pay directly online uh choose your choose your date you come and uh and that's it you come and come back a month later and you get your beer ready to go in 6 weeks awesome that sounds great thank you so much mike for taking time to talk today well thanks for coming by emily every once in a while i check in with chef and teacher lise kevan to ask her about buying things it's a segment that i'll be calling buying things with lise this time we're going to talk to lise about buying and preparing fresh meat. So Lise, it's the holiday season and I think people are maybe doing some meal planning for what they're going to make for their holiday meals. So today we're going to talk about meat cuz I think in a lot of traditional holiday meals that's kind of the central the central ingredient, the central product that um people are shopping for. So what would you suggest to people for shopping for meat and also preparing it and um and using it to its fullest? So, when you're buying meat for any occasion, I would really recommend using the whole animal. So if you're buying poultry, please buy the whole chicken or please buy the whole goose or the whole duck. You're going to be getting a much fresher product and you're going to understand 
the animal a lot better as well because you're going to have to go into the physical composition of the animal once you're breaking it down and cooking it and cutting it things like that so you're going to be much more in touch with what you're consuming and then if you're buying red meat or uh, paler cuts of meat that are like pork for example I would recommend getting a really big roast and if you can make sure the bones in the roast because it's going to contribute to a much fuller flavor much richer and also you can use the bone afterwards to make really beautiful stock so there's absolutely no waste in anything that you're going to do during your holiday season if you're cooking for four people that's wonderful and you're going to have the whole chicken to yourself or a whole beautiful roast and some leftovers perhaps. And if you're cooking for a large group of people, then you're going to be able to have a really exciting meal and uh, maybe less leftovers, which might be positive things. You're going to be so full afterwards. So with uh, poultry, what you're going to look for is um, the right size first. Don't get anything from the grocery store rack if you can help it if you can't that's absolutely fine just make sure that you're using a an animal that has been you know treated well throughout its life it's got it marked on the label that it might be a little bit higher quality of course whatever you can afford you just get whatever you can but i really do recommend looking for um you know signs of quality so if you're in france um, and you're shopping in the grocery store there's something called a label rouge and you can also find this at the butcher as well. They use label rouge animals. And then if you want to go a little bit higher, you're going to look for something that's organic, something that has uh, been free range, um, particularly for rabbits. If you're going to go for a rabbit, try to get the whole rabbit. Um, and please do make sure it's free range. For other game, for example, like geese or duck, if they are, if they're in a butcher, they're most likely going to have been farm-raised or wild-caught. It depends on the relationships that they have with the producers. If you're going to a really high-quality butcher, they might be wild. Um, so it's always something to be uh, aware of and to ask as well. And if in, if you're in the United States, um, I know it's a little bit harder to find these types of beasts. So uh, maybe you want to ask a friend if they can go out and hunt for you. <laughs> Um, I was recently in the United States and looked for duck because that's something that one of my students asked me about and um, I couldn't find any duck that looks like the duck here which means it's a magret de canard so whole duck breast um, you know the duck that's been raised to make foie gras so they have a really nice layer of fat on them I actually didn't find them so if you can please let us know. <laughs> and then if you're going to go with red meat or pork, like I said, get the bone in. Maybe you want to take the bone off so then you can freeze it and use it for a stock later. Or you can cook it with the bone in and it's going to give a much richer flavor. Um, I do recommend putting up the temperature, turning up the temperature in your oven to a higher temperature first. So if you're working in Fahrenheit, I would recommend bumping your oven up to 400 Fahrenheit or around 200, maybe even a little bit hotter Celsius. And um, hitting your roast with a really nice heat at the beginning, get a, getting a really nice crispy exterior. And then turn it down to about 325, I think would be a good idea. 325 Fahrenheit and like 160 Celsius so that you have an extremely juicy interior. And you're going to cook that for a long period of time. Of course, depending on 
how big your roast is. Um, but that's going to ensure a really nice juicy roast with a beautiful caramelized crispy exterior. And so how can we kind of avail ourselves of that resource of having a great butcher or finding a great butcher? What can they do for us and what should we not be shy to ask them to do? Yes, so my grandfather was a butcher um, and unfortunately I never got to meet him but I have learned many things from my mother. Is my mother who taught me a lot about butchery, not my father because <laughs> it was her dad. Um, so yes, it is more optimal to get meat from a butcher because that way you know that you're ensuring high quality you know that you're ensuring a shorter um consumer circle so you're getting meat that's been less processed than the meat that's gone into the grocery store and you know that already because when you walk into a grocery store you see that all of the chicken and all of the meat is our are, are in styrofoam packages and that they are wrapped with cellophane and that's definitely not what things look like in a butcher so you already have that integral knowledge in your being just unlock it um so yeah i would recommend going to a butcher first um and then it's always wonderful to develop relationships with these people. And the more you go back, the more they're going to learn what you like. And don't hesitate to ask them questions. That's why they're there. That's why they love their profession. That's why they are butchers. It takes a very special person to be able to um, work with raw meat every day. So, of course, they're going to love it when you ask them questions. So don't hesitate. Um, if there are certain things that you're a little un you know, a little wary of, <laughs> then ask. If there are certain tasks that you don't really know how to tackle, ask them if they might be able to do it for you. For example, if you want to butterfly the chicken, which means cutting out the backbone, and you know that you don't have a knife at home that's going to be able to tackle, tackle that, ask your witcher to do it. They'd be more than happy to do that for you. If there are, um, you know, ribs in the roast... I would recommend asking them to take them off and then putting them into the package so that you can use them for your stock later. So you've still got those bones because those are precious. So go ahead, ask them all the questions in the world. And they're pretty jolly fellows. And from time to time, I have seen a woman, but they're mostly gentlemen. Um, but they do know their way inside and out, literally, of all of the animals. So don't hesitate. And so you... Elise have lived all over the place and have like a very diverse background culturally in your family. And I'm wondering, um, maybe before leaving us, if you could tell us um, what is your sort of favorite holiday meal, if there's like a traditional one in your family or if there's one that um, that it like says holidays to you. Oh, that's really tricky because <laughs> I've grown up in a lot of different cultures. But I think one of the cultures that I find the most interesting in terms of Christmas meals is uh, Denmark because in Denmark we actually don't have large roasts we have fish and so uh, a very large uh, cod or a beautiful salmon or something like that with lots of lump eggs and a very creamy sauce um, that signals Christmas to me in, in terms of uh, Danish ways and then uh, I guess here in France, it's always associated with a lot of meals, a lot of courses. <laughs> um, thanks so much once again, Lise. Thank you.
Thanks again, Lise, for your always awesome and informative advice on how to buy things. If you're interested in veering away from meat and going Danish this holiday season, check out episode four, where I talk to Lise about buying fish. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Perry Paysan podcast. Thanks to Stefania, Mike, and Lise for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks to Ben Nero for additional original music for this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Before I sign off, I'd just like to say a special goodbye. Recently, friend of the show Kristen Bedard of The Kale Project broke the story that Joel Thibault, who is an institution at Marché Président Wilson et Marché Co, will be taking a retirement of sorts. Joel will no longer be at the market after he sold off what remains of his stock in the next few months. Joel's passion for finding heirloom and forgotten vegetables, for seeking out seeds for little-known varieties, for bringing a huge range of beautiful vegetables to the market on a regular basis, is a true gift to everyone living in Paris. And anyone who knows Joel knows how greatly he'll be missed. It's a real blessing to have someone who is as passionate, engaged, and just totally geeky about being a farmer. If you haven't ever been to Joel's stand, I suggest you take advantage of the remaining days. If you're interested in learning more about Joel's story, I write about him a little bit in my Paris Market cookbook. And there's also a recipe uh, that Joel was kind enough to share with me using some of his beautiful, beautiful fall veggies. Also check out the blog for more posts about Joel, Marshy President Wilson. And you can also look at my map where you can find other farmers at Paris Markets. It's really important to support them. And when you're there, maybe even say thanks for what they do. Thank you for listening and tune in next time to the Perry Paysan Podcast.